Hey everybody, I wish so much you were here. Like physically, this room is so cool. And I get to be here with the team. Hey team. Uh, we're going to worship and learn together. And these are people that uh, like look way too hip for me to be on the same platform with them. Except I'm here by the grace of God, which is the only reason you're here too. And we're learning something really cool together these days. We're learning to hope. Hope is the anticipation of good. That's hope. The anticipation of good. Deeper than optimism, optimism is the tendency to believe things will turn out well. Uh, hope comes from elsewhere, as Vaclav Havel said. It's the conviction that really in God, your life, your efforts have meaning no matter how the situation turns out. Hope, we're learning, requires these three strands, imagining, desiring, and believing. So I want you now to imagine that you are a person of hope. It's part of how you grow hope. Tom Moore is a 99-year-old man. He had hip surgery. He decided that he would combine rehab with fighting COVID by walking 10 legs in his little garden uh, for each of 10 days and inviting people online to sponsor him. His goal was to get about $10 a length, maybe raise $1,000. Somehow, the thought of a 99-year-old World War II vet who broke his hip walking to help other people caught folks' imagination. He had hoped to raise $1,000. At last count, he had gotten over 650,000 donations for more than $23 million. He seriously overshot. Here's the thing. You can't do more than you hope to do if you don't hope. So imagine you have a hope that just doesn't give out. You find a way. You can't be stopped. Imagine you are the kind of person that can look pandemic, recession, fear, isolation, uncertainty square in the eye and are convinced in your soul that with God at your side, better days are ahead. By the way, somebody in the band just started playing. You have to wait till I give you the cue. They just put up with this. Imagine being so filled with hope that other people find inspiration and joy just being around you. Imagine you wake up in the morning eager for the day. Imagine you find a hope that won't give out. About 50 years ago, a football player named Joe Namath wrote a book, and the title was, I Can't Wait Till Tomorrow Because I Get Better Looking Every Day. Today, Joe Namath is almost 80 years old. I promise, I promise you that if he is looking forward to tomorrow, it ain't for that reason. It ain't because he's still getting better looking every day. Imagine that when you go to bed at night, you can't wait till tomorrow because you're convinced you're going to find God there. Imagine your life, your life is filled with noble goals and wonderful hopes and significant plans and you celebrate the victories and you learn from the failures and you never get stuck in the past because the future is calling you by name. Now see, when you do this, when you just imagine yourself as a person of hope so vividly that it makes you ache for it, makes you realize that you could grow toward it even a little, you've actually taken a step toward hope. And in fact, our prayer together in this series is, and you can say this, pray this right along with me, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now today, very excited about this, we're going to weave learning from God with responding to God. 
You know, we use music and song so that we can imprint on our whole body and in our heart what we affirm with our mind. And we're going to do that right now. This is a song that says, the best is yet to come. And I want you to use, seize those words, not as an expression of optimism about circumstance, but as a conviction that the God of hope has endless good yet in store for his creation, including you, even if you're 99 years old. The best is yet to come. Now, band, take it away. I believe, I believe that the future is bright. I believe in His promise for me. I believe that He's working and He's not done. The best, the best is yet to come. I know He makes the anxious courageous. I know He makes the doubters believe. I know He won't stop working cause He's not done. The best, the best is yet to come. I've got this hope in my soul I know you won't let me go Lord, I believe with your life in me I've just begun The best is yet to come I believe that He gives second chances I believe He works all things for good I believe that He's working the best, the best is yet to come I've got this hope in my soul I know you won't let me go Lord, I believe with your life in me I've just begun I've got this hope in my soul I know you won't let me go Let's invite his hope into our hearts together. I've got my hopes high. You make my hopes rise. I've got my hopes high. You hold my whole life. I've got my hopes high. You make my hopes rise. I've got my hopes high. You hold my whole life. I've got my hopes high. You make my hopes high. may be thinking, it must be really cool to get to sit up there and worship with them. And it is. My mic is turned off, but it's still cool. 
Um, we're learning today how to actually grow in hope. What you can do to become a more hope-filled human being. And we're going to do that by looking at the man who in the Psalms actually talks about hope more than any other person in the Bible. His name was David. And we're going to walk through David's life to see how a world-class hoper grows hope so that you can do the same thing. And hope starts here. Get real clear on what it is you hope for. One day, David, when he was just a kid, youngest of eight brothers, got called in front of a prophet named Samuel who poured a jar of oil over his head and told him one day he, David, not any of his older brothers, was going to be king. And then the prophet Samuel left town. David's other brothers went back to work. David went back to herding sheep. And for who knows how many years, he just kept doing his old job. Nothing changed except one thing. David has a hope. David has a future. David starts dreaming about what kind of king he'd be, how he'd unite Israel, how he hoped he would lead the people to God and bring the ark to Jerusalem and write psalms and play music and build the temple and, and, and have an heir, begin a kingdom. So I want to invite you today, uh, take what you might think of as a hope inventory. You know, in this season, we've all had to get used to taking inventory of food and supplies around the house. We don't want to hoard, but we don't want to run out. Well, high hope people take inventory of their hopes. Low hope people just have kind of a vague collection of jumbled up wishes that come and go. So this week, take some time to do a hope inventory. Start by uh, listing what you really hope for, not what you think you should hope for. Just be honest. And you might start with these categories. First, what do I want to have? Now, this could involve tangible hopes. I want to have enough money to be really generous or to retire well. I want to live in this kind of place. I want to drive this kind of car. But I also hope to have intangible goods, a good friend, hope to have a joyful family or a healthy body or a happy marriage. Those are uh, having hopes. And then secondly, what do I hope to do? For David, he was working as a shepherd, but he was hoping that he would do great things as a king. So what do you want to do with your work, with your volunteering? What kind of experiences do you hope to engage in? Travel and play and vacation. All of this stuff matters to God. What do you hope to learn? What skills do you hope to acquire? Get real clear on this. And then third, what do I hope to become? Maybe you hope to be less fearful or more wise or more loving. Maybe this season is teaching you about your need to be more patient. Feel free to give an elbow to someone that you don't have to social distance with right now. Maybe you hope to become a better truth teller or free from an addiction or uh, someone who expresses more servanthood around the house. So what are you hoping for in your relational, physical, vocational, spiritual life? Great hopers have goals for the future. They do not drift. They press on to the mark. And I want to encourage you in this. Write down what you want your future to look like. I've done that myself in this season. However old you are. Could be you in a month or a year or a decade. What's one step you could take today to begin moving toward your tomorrow? Put it in the chat if you have that feature available to you. Inspire somebody else with it. And while you consider this, I want you to listen to this scripture that very powerfully reminds you and me 
that it is God who gives birth to hope in us. 1 Peter 1, 3-7 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Let's sing these words together, church. that song is longer. Um, Jesus Christ is the source of our hope, but there is a role in becoming a hoper that you and only you can play. And that's the next uh, step that great hopers take. Take responsibility for your hoping. A hopeful person is somebody for whom hoping has actually become a habit, and you want to be around them in a crisis. Their hope is not fickle. It's kind of like a thermometer just reads the temperature. A thermostat sets the temperature. Hope should be a thermostat. Uh, I was talking to a couple of our elders this week that are saying around their house they're having thermostat wars because everybody wants to be able to set the thermostat. Well, you ought to set your hope level. One of the most famous stories about David is his encounter with an enemy named Goliath who had shattered Israel's hope until David came. David told his older brother Eliab, I can take him. Now what's striking is Eliab didn't say, go get him, David. I'm so proud of you. Way to go, little brother. He told David, you can't beat Goliath. Who do you think you are? Stop running off at the mouth. I promise you this. When you dare to hope, a lot of people will tell you what you cannot do. I don't know why, but something about moving forward with big plans and high energy and great dreams just brings out the naysayers. 
But that does not stop David. David just starts telling other people, I can take him. Word gets to King Saul, but Saul is not hopeful either. King Saul tells David, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. Every single soldier besides David in Israel has lost hope for an important reason, and this will inform us. Remember, hope involves three elements, imagining, wanting, and believing. Could the other Israelite soldiers imagine Goliath being defeated? Sure. Did they want Goliath defeated? Sure. Did they believe they could defeat Goliath? No way. That's what they lacked. That's why they didn't hope. They didn't believe. Why did David continue to believe that he could do it when older, bigger, more experienced men told him he could not? He had learned hope. David talks about this. He tells the king how when he was a shepherd, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep, David went after it, struck it down, rescued the sheep. Now imagine you're in a field watching sheep. And they're not even yours. They're your dad's sheep. And a lion comes after one. You're armed with a stick. What do you do? I think I might have run. David could have run. The only one to see him run would be the sheep. They would never talk. Nobody would ever have known. Except David and God. So David stayed and prayed and did what shepherds do. He wasn't just guarding sheep, he was growing hope. And he doesn't tell Saul, I learned I could defeat lions and bears. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Gang, the truth is, you can hear somebody say, God is faithful a hundred times in a message like this. You can read it a hundred times in a book, but you will never come to really believe it in your bones until you've lived it in real life. There is a big difference between hoping and wishing. Wishing doesn't cost you anything. Hope, see, includes a joyful embrace of my responsibility. Hope pushes me. Hope energizes me. Hope acts, and therefore, hope grows. One of the secrets of high hope people is that they are constantly imagining and wanting and believing and then moving toward what they hope for. Now, this does not require some big dramatic change. Mostly, it's learning to apply hope to the ordinary challenges of life, like David the shepherd did. Maybe you're struggling with working at home. You want to procrastinate, give less than your best. Maybe your goal is to spend 15 minutes joyfully interacting with a coworker on the line tomorrow. Or maybe you've been laid off altogether. A lot of people have in this season and you're tempted to lose hope. You can spend an hour networking on the phone. Or uh, you've just been physically lethargic. A lot of people wrestling with that. You can spend an hour just walking outside today. You can do that. Maybe it's a tough parenting challenge. This season is tough on everybody, but I got to say, it's a killer for parents with young children. You might have seen an Israeli mom with four kids, two computers, and a never-ending pile of WhatsApp messages, just lost it, went into her car and recorded a 90-second rant. 
She said, I go from one child to the other. Here's science. Here's math. How am I supposed to know all these things? Now our children will find out how dumb we really are. It's not right, really. The music teacher of my youngest sent her over a musical score this morning. What am I going to do with that information? What? Do I have some kind of band in the house? I can't read music. Just one second. Let me pull out my clarinet and help my sons with his score. All day long, it's how's the child feeling? How's the child feeling? He's spending the entire day on his cell phone. He's fine, sleeping fine, eating fine. They don't stop eating. How's he feeling? Ask me how I'm feeling. I'm falling to pieces. Her rant has been translated into over 20 languages, seen gazillions of times all around the world. Let me tell you, if you're a parent and it's really hard, let me tell you, if you're a single parent, oh my goodness, and it just seems impossible. You're facing a financial challenge, or a job challenge, or a health challenge. You're elderly. You're vulnerable. You're single. You're alone. It's really, really hard. You are not crazy. Do not despair. You are not alone. The God who rescues from lions and bears and giant foes will rescue you too, will be with you too. You know, in our series last fall called The Way, we talked about everyday trials as a means to being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So this week, if it'd be helpful, I'd encourage you just jump into the Way of Hope practices online and let your everyday trials, and you have a lot of them in this season, build your hope. See, it was in everyday trials when nobody was watching in his unglamorous job as a shepherd, that David was becoming a world-class hoper, one bear at a time. And God, God might use that little bear sitting next to you to grow patience and hope in you. It can be a very helpful thing to actually name your commitment to growing hope. So I want to invite you now not to just listen to this song, but use these words to tell God, God, I can't do this on my own, but you and I together can. God, I am committed to seeking your help and with you growing in hope. I 
are our rock, our shield, God. God, I look to you. words I love you Lord my rock my strength my shield those are David's words he was singing those words when he was a boy out there shepherding those sheep thousands of years ago and now we sing them uh, I don't know about you Nancy and I uh, watch these services online together on Sundays at 8:30 shout out to everybody uh, at 8:30 and everybody at all the other times too and uh, as we experience worship and join in worship, it just feels like uh, those who lead us in worship are like our friends. Or this will be an odd analogy, like if you ever go to an aerobics class and they're kind of cheering you on, like you do the aerobics, but they're cheering you on. And so up here right now, it's Junior and Kyle and Dave and Lisa and Tatiana. And it just feels to us every week like, man, we love you guys so much. You know, just on behalf of our church, man, thank you for what you do. Because God is using you to breathe life into us every week. And I hope as that happens for you, you know, this is not like musical performance. Uh, it is a central part of the life of a hoper that learning always must lead to worship. Because if we're really learning about God, if we really believe it, we can't help but cry out, I love you, Lord, my rock and strength and shield. And worship, on the other hand, must never, ever happen without learning, without our minds being fully engaged, or then it just becomes the pursuit of an emotional experience of one sort or another that can actually cause us to decrease in growth and hope. But when we combine learning in our minds and worship from our hearts, oh my goodness, and one of the primary gifts that God uses to grow hope with us is the gift of other people like this and in your life. So this is something else that hopers do, build relationships of hope. You know, David had a friend named Jonathan. Jonathan was actually the son of old King Saul. He was the heir of old King Saul. Jonathan should have, by all rights, become king himself. Instead, we're told one day, Jonathan gave to his friend David his royal robe and his tunic and his sword and his bow. Now, why did he do this? Well, this was a very clear, symbolic way where Jonathan is naming David rather than himself as the future king. It's one of the most breathtaking moments in all of the Bible and all of literature. These unbelievably noble sacrifices. And Jonathan does this. David, when I look at you, I see a king. When I look at you, I see God's anointed. And that doesn't bother me. I'm not jealous. I celebrate that. David, my friend, I want you to always remember who God made you to be. Every time you wear this robe, every time you hold this sword, I want you to remember. I want you to never settle for anything less. Can you imagine how that impacted David? There were young men, young friends when that happened. And very shortly after that, they were separated by circumstances. And then David would never see his friend Jonathan again. And Jonathan would die relatively young. But that friendship marked David to the end of his life. 
And I wonder how often through the years David pulled out that sword. When he was alone, when he was on the run, when he won a great victory, when he repented from a great sin, pulled out that robe and remembered what his friend called him to. I think the contrast between Eliab and Jonathan is just amazing. The man who was born to be David's brother became his rival. The man who was born to be David's rival became his brother. And the friendship of Jonathan grew hope in David. So, the first thing for you to do is to think of the Jonathans in your life. Identify them and go thank them today. Tell them to take very good care of themselves because you cannot afford to lose them. Let them know what they mean to you. And maybe you're thinking, I don't really have a Jonathan or I could, I could use more of them or, or better of them. Well, start by deliberately contacting at least one person each day than you otherwise would and find one way to encourage them, to give hope to them. There may never be a season in our lifetime when a people appreciate or need encouragement and hope more than this season. And that person might be right next to you. Uh, somebody sent me this last week. We're a week into self-isolation and it is very upsetting for me to witness my husband standing at the living room window, staring aimlessly into space with tears running down his cheeks. It breaks my heart to see him like this. I've thought very hard of how I can cheer him up. I've even considered letting him in, but rules are rules. Well, you might think you don't have anything, any hope to offer anybody, but you'd be dead wrong. And if you don't believe that you don't have something to offer, you take a look at this. Hi, I'm Lyndall, and this is Anne Christine. I'm part of Mothers Together at Menno Church. Um, at the start of Shelter in Place, just really was strong in my heart to um, check in with the, the older population group uh, in Menno Church to make sure that they're not feeling too isolated at this time. So we partnered um, a lot of mothers and mothers together. Um, we partnered together to um, say, how can we help? Um, I know mothers are very busy at this point in time, but it doesn't matter. We can still do little things that mean a lot. So what we did was um, an initiative, a project called Adopt Someone Grand. And our grand people that we're adopting are age 90 plus elderly, the most precious people at Menno Church. And the mothers and our children, um, we are creating artwork for them, we're giving them a phone call, we're writing letters, sending cards, just to check on them, to see how they're doing, and to make a difference hopefully to their lives, and um, show our children how to shine um, Christ's loves to others in, in times like these. So if um, anyone would still like to be part of this project, we'd love you to join us in this initiative. Thank you. We'll sometimes talk about Menlo being a three-chair church, and the idea comes from Psalm 78, where the psalmist says, that which our ancestors passed on to us, we will not neglect to pass on to our children. And that idea of a chair for those who came before, and now this is our day, and then here are our children, those who come after us. Uh, we don't want to neglect any of those chairs. We love that kind of connection. And it's one of the best parts of our DNA as a church. And anybody can be a hope passer. I had a friend from our old church call me last week. He said, John, I'm doing ministry, due diligence, checking in on the elderly. How are you doing? I'm not making this up. 
His name is Len. He's got a real cool job. He's chaplain of the Buffalo Bills, and he was taunting me, the Lord's anointed. So I just want to say, in case you're watching, Len, bring it on, pal. Bring the whole team if you want to. It's easy to talk, talk on Zoom, isn't it? But it's not just other people who help us hope. It's that, but not just that. You have even better help than that. And that's the next step in growing hope. Invite God into your hoping. Bring God in. When David was young, the prophet Samuel anointed him. Saul, the king, employed him. The army loved him. People sang songs about him. Everything he touched turned to gold until it didn't. Until King Saul got jealous and tried to kill him. And over time, David lost his home, his job, his income, his status, his security, his best friend. He spent 10 years on the run, lived in a cave, sheltered in place in a cave. He attracted some followers, but they were not much to write home about. They're described this way in the Old Testament. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. How would you like that for your life group, the three Ds? To make things worse, one day they returned to their little makeshift village and it had been raided. Their possessions and wives and children were gone. They were sheltering in place and then they lost their place. And when this happened, we're told, so David and his men wept until they had no strength left to weep. David was literally cried out because it could not get any worse until it did. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. I'll bet he was greatly distressed. He's lost everything. He's a fugitive. He's a failure. He's a marked man living in a cave, his own ragged little community ready to kill him. He had literally no one to turn to until he did. One of my favorite statements in all the Bible. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, we got to pause here. What do you think that moment was like? What kind of thoughts do you think passed through David's mind? How do you think David imagined his future, that part of hope? I'll tell you what thoughts I'll bet David did not have while he was encouraging himself in the Lord. I'll bet he did not think, oh, God, this can't be happening. Oh, God, these stones are going to hurt so bad. Oh, God, now I'll never be king. Oh, God, I'd have been better off if Goliath had killed me. What I have learned about myself, especially in this last season of life where I've faced a lot of challenges, is if I'm not careful, I can actually discourage myself in the Lord. Go to God where it's time to pray, but just rehearse all the ways in which I am adequate. Listen, God is never a God of discouragement. The text does not say, then David discouraged himself in the Lord and God was glad because he likes it when we grovel. God may bring painful thoughts like conviction of sin or deep prophetic challenge to work for justice and, and goodness, but God never brings despair. Some time ago, I asked a wise friend, how do you assess the state of your soul? And his first statement was very hope-related, very striking to me. I'll offer it to us now. I use it as a diagnostic of the soul. His question was, do I find myself getting more or less easily discouraged these days? Because he said, I find that when the peace of Christ is reigning in my heart, I don't get discouraged so easily. I'm taking some time every day in this season 
to become more aware of my thoughts. Not trying to fight them or control them, just aware. And when they're hope bringing, when they're hope robbing. And then inviting God into my thoughts. I mentioned when we began this series, there's a uh, clinical hope assessment scale. It's kind of the gold standard in research. And it's available online through our church. You can use it to track your hope levels. I do this. It's super helpful. Um, if you want to have something that's just super simple, use a scale of 1 to 10 this week, each day. Do I find myself getting more discouraged? That's a 1. Or less easily discouraged, more hopeful? That's a 10. And just track, get clear on where is your hopefulness level. And if you find discouragement is a problem, remember, God wants to help you. You, right now, in your little cave, can do what David did in his. You can invite him in. You can not miss this moment now. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Psalm 42.5, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. Nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare your living hope, your presence. I've tasted and seen. Sweetest of love When my heart becomes free And my shame is undone Your presence, Lord the Holy Spirit, you are welcome And fill the atmosphere Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for To be overcome by your presence, Lord Your presence
place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. You understand, when you say those words, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, we're not talking about a church building, we're talking about our bodies, talking about our lives. That's where the Holy Spirit wants to come. And that leads to the final uh, dimension of growing hope. Guard, real carefully, your ultimate hope. I don't mean your hope about tomorrow or next week or next year, hope for this relationship or hope for that work. Your ultimate hope. What is your ultimate hope? What do you put your hope in? One of the great statements about David is actually found in the New Testament. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. David had his day from when he was a young and full of promise man to when he was an old man. He got some things right, he got some things wrong, but he served God's purpose. Now you can do that. You can put your name into that verse, for when Larry, for when Sue, for when Rico, for when Stella, for when Junior, for when Tatiana, for when you served God in your generation. You may know in the New Testament, one of the most important titles given to Jesus is he's called the Son of David. Now, this is not a distinction given to any other character in the Bible. Jesus is never never called the Son of Moses or the Son of Abraham. Why the Son of David? Well, it wasn't because of David's giftedness. It was not because of his moral track record. It was a title, see, of hope. It was under David that the kingdom of Israel was united and flourished for a while. And after his son Solomon came division and exile and darkness, David was the one brief shining moment that Israel could never forget. I think of a kingdom in our day that knew unprecedented joy and success and then was plunged into darkness. The Golden State Warriors. When opponents came to town, the presence of the warriors appeared to them and the glory of the warriors shone round about them and they were sore afraid. The warriors wore the crown. And then this season came darkness and losing and weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. But only for a season. A lot of people are talking about a a documentary on ESPN right now called The Last Dance. About the Chicago Bulls in the 90s with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman. I lived in Chicago then. I worked in Chicago then. I used to go with my son Johnny sometimes to the game right there on the tunnel where the Bulls would come out. And they were amazing. They were a remarkable team. But they were not the Golden State Warriors. And that sound you hear is people applauding in homes all around the Bay Area. You know, the Greek word for crown, it's in the Bible, is the word stephanos, from which we get the name Stephan or Steph. The crown will return. This is true. You can look it up. The glory will return. It is gone only for a season. It is not the last dance. Not the last dance. Israel would look back 
dream dreams, they'd think, one day we'll have a king like that again. One day the glory will come back again. And that King David wrote at the end of his most famous psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now that's not just hope, that's ultimate hope. When my dad was in the hospital this last year with a growth in his brainstem, a physical therapist came once to help him walk, and this therapist was one of those great, big, outspoken, funny, real talkative guys who would tease and cajole and challenge and encourage patients just recreationally. He's really good at it. And after the session, I'll never forget my dad looking at him and saying, you're the first person since I've been in here to give me hope. And it was so good to see my dad hope to walk. And it made him work twice as hard. Hope is so powerful. But the day came, as it will for all of us, when it was clear he was not going to walk again. When it's clear that you will not get what you're hoping for, and that day will come, then the question will be, what have you put your hope in? And it is David in the Psalms who told his soul, put your hope in the Lord. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. I think maybe David was an old man when he said those words, with a long gray beard and a wrinkled face. And he remembered when he was young and handsome and the strange old prophet Samuel poured oil over him and said mysterious words that began it all. And how on that day the Spirit of the Lord came on him. How David decided the way that young men do, young women do, that when he was in charge, when he was leading, things would be different. He'd get it right. And sometimes he did. Sometimes he got things so wrong. But something inside him said, I will dwell. He didn't say, I think I might. He didn't say, it would sure be nice if I could. He was a stubborn guy this day. He had the heart of a racehorse. He said, I'm staying in the house. I may make a mess. I may spill on the rug. I may knock down the lamps. I may break all the expensive stuff. I may eat the pasta I'm not supposed to eat. I know what a pain it is to have me in the house. I know. But I'll tell you what. You will have to drag me out of here kicking and screaming. It's Jesus' house. One day he will come back. One day the glory will return. One day he will put the crown on his head and set his house in order. And if you put your hope in Jesus, if you make him your forgiver and your leader and your friend, then he is your hope, your fallback hope, your world-class hope, your ultimate hope. Because we do not hope in hope itself. We hope in a person. Hope has a name. Right now we want to teach you all a song that we're going to be singing throughout this series called Hope Has a Name.
And like John just said, we don't hope in hope, we hope in a person. And this song is just simply naming Jesus as the one that we hope in. So our encouragement to you right now as we sing these words is whether you're sitting on the couch right now or if you're listening later in the week while you fold laundry or do your dishes is just to sing along with us. Singing is a powerful spiritual act where we get to verbalize our faith and what we believe or want to believe about God. So as a way of verbalizing that God is our hope and naming him as the one that we place our hope in, let's sing these words together. We're going to teach you this chorus. It goes like this. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus, my Savior's Christ has set the sinner free. Hope has a name, His name is Jesus, oh Christ be praised, I have Complete. 
into your week full of days that look like the days that came before them. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week.